grateful that we have the Bible, so grab it, and that we get to read it, and uh, that we get to apply it to our lives, that we get to press it down. Um, if you're visiting with us, hey, that's great. We love visitors. We love having you, and we hope that you'll come back again and again. Um, we're in the book of John. Uh, it's kind of like weird to just open up to John 12, but that's what we're going to do, and not only to open up to uh, John 12, but uh, we're not going to uh, verse 1. We're going to verse 9, all right? So it's like just one of those things. Verse 9? No, I said verse 9. Verse 12? Verse 12. How about that? We're just going to rip it up in the middle of everywhere. So I think it's good to, um, to kind of paint a picture for you. So here it is, um, John 20, 31. John 20, 31 is the reason, it's the purpose of the book, and it's what we're going for. But these are written, all these words, this account of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, literally, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We're praying that you believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as your Lord and Savior, and that you have eternal life in the name of Jesus Christ. That's our prayer for you today. And um, I'm excited to get into it. So, uh, journey through John um, in chapter 12. If you're there, say you're there. Great, I'm going to get there in a second. Um, Jesus was uh, headed towards the cross. And we are headed towards Christmas, right? And so we have this cool series called Behold, Your King is Coming. Um, And yeah, He is. And we're going to remember Advent And that he did come, but we're going to remember uh, not only that, but we're going to remind ourselves that he is coming again. And that is important to us that are looking for his return, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So how are we going to apply the gospel to our lives this Christmas? As we head into Christmas, how are we going to apply the gospel to our lives this Advent season? Let's not just do it at church and then chuck it the rest of the week. Let's, let's apply it all week long. Church, you guys up for that? I'm up for that. I want to press into that. So uh, let's get after it. So next Sunday starts Advent. How many of you guys have heard the word Advent before? Okay, I've said it a couple times now. Like, how many of you guys, like, so that was quite a few people, which is good, but confusing to me because I grew up in a church that didn't celebrate Advent. So how many of you guys are like, uh, I grew up in a church that we didn't do Advent? Raise your hand. All right, yeah, so there's plenty of us too. It's like, you know, Advent's kind of confusing to me, and uh, it, I think it can be confusing to you too, um, based on what your church has taught you and all those different things. And so the title of the message today is Misinformed Advent. Misinformed Advent. Um, Advent means coming. You might want to write that down. Coming. Advent means coming. And it refers to an arrival of a notable person or event. We realize that we're talking about the advent or the coming of Jesus Christ. Behold, your king, Jesus, is coming. And today we're going to read in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, about this misinformed advent. So uh, they were kind of confused about what was happening here, and uh, he received their praise. He didn't say, hey, no, you're all wrong, Um, but... uh, there was a little bit of an interesting twist here. So let's just read it together. Um, chapter 12, 12. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd, 
So there's two crowds in the passage. You need to know that. The large crowd, the one coming from Jerusalem, that had come to the feast, that's the Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they came out to meet him. You go, how large was the crowd? Anybody thinking that? I mean, you read the scriptures, right? And you're like, hey, large crowd, great. Is large this size? A couple hundred people? Is that large? Is it a couple thousand people? Is it... Some commentators say that at Passover there could be up to a million people at Jerusalem. Okay, okay. New, new definition of large crowd. Even if it's 500,000 people coming out to meet Jesus, you're like, what? It seems like a large crowd. All right, just getting a context to the scriptures, that's good. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out. All right, now this is where it gets interesting because your pastor likes to shout. And so there's exclamation points all over this. And I'm just kind of like, want to just get it out. But, but I'm just going to read it, okay? I'm just going to read it. Uh, but you guys can add the emphasis, okay? I just want to scare the visitors away yet. Okay. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Bam! Right? And Jesus found a young donkey. Now, a lot I could say about that. Jesus found a young donkey. He actually sent two people. You've got to read the other passage to get that. And and sat on it, just as it was written. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. You're like, man, where'd you get that clever uh, sermon series title? Uh, We're just reading scripture, people. Behold, your king is coming. Sitting on a donkey's colt, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus, so misinformed Advent, but Jesus, when he was, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd, oh, that's the other crowd, the smaller crowd, that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. Okay, just a little like Bible quiz in church. Like, where's this crowd from? They're not coming from Jerusalem. They're going to Jerusalem. Where are they coming from? Bethany, right. Bethany, all right, great. So that just, it's kind of fun to have like this, oh yeah, I know where it's from, even though he's not saying it. They're coming from Bethany. That's the place where he had the feast, and that's the place where he rose, uh, raised um, Lazarus from the dead. And they were bearing witness. They were shouting it out. They were like, dude, look at this. I don't know. Just tickles me to kind of get in the ta- passage and kind of like, what was Lazarus doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's me. Here I am. Was he like leading the charge? Was he like the like drum master or the Head of the parade, right? What do you call that? Drum major, the, the master of ceremonies, whatever. So, I mean, was he doing backflips and cartwheels and like, Prince Ali, Ali, Abi, Mali? You know, it's like, did he have a genie like throwing stuff up? Like, anyway, sorry. Uh, 
Just my mind. Uh, I like to get into the text. So they were bearing witness, and it was kind of cool. Okay, the reason why the crowd, not to be confused with the small crowd, this is the large crowd now. (laughs) The reason why the crowd, the large crowd, went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. Oh, that's good. Verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Kind of sharp. Look, the world has gone after him. You got a lot of things going on in that passage. All right, well, let's pray for God to uh, reveal his uh, good word and apply it and sink it into our hearts and lives so that we can serve him this week. Let's pray. Most holy and heavenly Father, we uh, submit to you right now. I submit in my spirit, and I pray that everyone in this room is submitting to you as master, as Lord. We're submitting to your love for us. We're submitting to your plan for us. We're submitting to this passage and what you have and want to teach us. We're under your authority. You're the king. And you're coming again. And we can't wait to see you face to face. And to meet your loving gaze. And to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God, I pray that some people would have their eyes and their minds opened to that reality. To the fact that you love them and want to spend eternity with them. And that they would confess you as Lord and Savior today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray it. Amen. Amen. Hey, this passage is a big deal. Everybody say big deal. Um, It's a big deal. All right? So this is a place where all four Gospels are saying, this happened. Yeah, well, if it had a half a million people, it would be a big deal to you too. You'd remember it and you'd write it down when you're recounting it too, right? Um, You would think that walking on the water would be a big deal too. Who, Who thinks that? Yep, not in all four Gospels. Amazingly enough, somebody slept through that, obviously. I don't know what's going on. It's in the boat. Gee whiz. That's crazy. All right. So I want to retract that statement, gee whiz. That's not a good thing to say. And I'm trying to be perfect in my words. Uh, I know I cannot be perfect. I'm your pastor, an imperfect messenger. But when I say something that I rightfully know is wrong, I want to say it. So that is a slang, and it's not good. All right? I'm not going to say that again, Lord willing. Thank you. All right, thank you for your grace. Um, It's a major event. So some things that were in all four Gospels, um, the baptism of Jesus Christ. We're going to have a baptism service. We believe that baptism as a believer, after you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord, is a big deal. And so did the writers of Scripture, and so did Jesus. Even though he wasn't a sinner, he was baptized. And I would exhort you to read the Scriptures and search the Scriptures and to see that baptism is a requirement and, honestly, a privilege uh, to identify with Jesus Christ of every true believer of Jesus Christ. So, enough on that. The feeding of the 5,000, which was a big deal. <laughs> I mean, dinner's for everyone. Like, everybody wrote that uh, down in their, in their account. The Lord's Supper, that was a big deal. Peter's denial, Judas's betrayal, the trials, the cross, the tomb, the resurrection. These were all things along with the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem that made it into all four Gospels. 
So I want to give you the four accounts, the other three. Um, write them down. This is just food for you this week. You can read these. Uh, you don't have to go do this on your own. I, I studied this this week. So here, church, let me feed you, okay? So Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Mark 11, 1 through 10. Mark chapter 11, 1 through 10. You can write these down. Luke 19, 28 through 40. As I'm having you writing these down, I'm just recognizing that I probably should have just wrote them down for you so you had them. So I'll just grow in that for next time, okay? Back to the passage. The next day, a large crowd that had come to the Passover feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Right there. They heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So here's what you need to know. There was a keen expectation around Passover. There is a, a, a real expectation around even our holidays. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, especially Christmas and Easter as spiritually speaking. We're expecting it to be about Jesus. We're expecting it to center around Him and be special in the right way. And they heard Jesus was coming and they had a keen expectation as well. They expected a Messiah to come on the scene. They had heard His words, the words that He spoke, the miracles that He performed, and the prophecies that He fulfilled proved that Jesus was the Messiah. And they were starting to get it. They were starting to be like, hold on. And certain people were getting it more than others. Even like it is in this room. Certain people are like, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. And other people are like, eh, maybe. Could you prove it to me? Well, here's three prophecies. Throw them on the screen. We'll just call it the big three. Okay? The virgin birth. Prophesied in Isaiah 7. I have verse 14. It says 15 on the screen, but I have verse 14. So, I don't, one of those two. Check it out. And sacrificial death. Isaiah 52, 13 through 54. No, it's supposed to be 53. Just 53, 12. So, Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. And then the resurrection. Psalm 16, 10. The psalmist said... The Messiah will rise. Okay, now listen. Also, Jesus said three times, I am going to die and raise from the dead before he ever went to the cross. If that's not astounding, I don't know what is. It's pretty cool. So there's prophecies that are fulfilled, and it's, it's, it's interesting because these people think that this prophecy is going to happen right now. They're like, hold on. Jesus, we want a Messiah. And Jesus, his words, his miracles, the way that he's fulfilling some prophecies, even though there's questions around that still, like, this is cool. But here, I want to draw a picture for you. Just consider this a mountaintop. You see it? Here's a mountain right here. Prophecies like mountaintops, mountain peaks. There's a prophecy right here, and the people in Jerusalem see the mountaintop, and they're like going for this. They're like, we're looking for a king. 
We're looking for a Messiah, a ruler. And then there's this valley in between. This is called the church age. And then there's this other mountain peak over here, okay? And this is where he actually is king. Here, what they think is a king is a suffering servant. And they're seeing mountain peaks, but they're getting them confused, and there's some space in between where we're at right now. Does that make sense? I hope that that, they're seeing something they want to see. Isn't that how you do it sometimes? Something you want to see, and you're like, I want to see the Vikings win. I want to, whatever you want, right? I want to see this happen. And so sometimes you can look at the mountain, you can be like, oh yeah, there it is, right? When it's actually further down the road. All right, I don't know why I belabored that, but hopefully you understand. If not, next time I'll draw a picture, okay? Um, so, so you have these things here where, where he's coming back and there's prophecy. And, and, and because of this, look at the passage. I mean, he quotes scripture. John is qu- quoting scripture And he's like, and the people are quoting scripture. They took branches of palm trees, a symbol of peace. And and it's a celebration of victory. And they went out to meet him, Jesus, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Save now, I pray. It's from Psalm 118, 25 and 26. You might want to write that down. This is where the Bible kind of makes sense. It like all comes together. When it, when it all comes together, you want to kind of cross-reference it. And this is, this is, they're not just saying this. They're quoting a psalm. Psalm 118, 25 and 26. They're quoting a psalm. They're saying, this is the entrance of the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now you've got to get yourself in the text. What are the Roman soldiers thinking right now? Revolt! Shut it down! How many false prophets have there been? How many false messiahs have there been? How many have died? Read commentaries and pages on it. Why don't they kill Jesus now? Anybody thinking that? I'm thinking that. He's riding a donkey. A colt. He's not riding a horse. He's not coming in to make war. It's a humble entrance. The Romans are like, this is laughable, right? This is not your king. This is not, you know, so they're not touching him. And yet the Jews are trying to elevate him and missing the point because they so badly want to see a king. They're like, um, this is, this is kind of weird. He's riding a donkey, not a horse. Is everybody getting this? It says, Zechariah 9.9, write that down. In the, it, just write it down in your Bible. You never have to uh, cross-reference again. Zechariah 9.9, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. He's fulfilling prophecy right before their eyes, and they don't even get it. Now, I'm into building your faith. Anybody into having their faith build up on Sunday? All right, this world's a hard place. It's hard to like serve Jesus. It's hard to be resolute about the faith. But I'm telling you what, my faith has been built on this passage so much, and I want to build your faith today. You ready? 
All right, write this reference down. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. I know this is a long setup. We're going to get to the outline. You're like, where's some more space? Flip it over right on the back now. It's all good. We'll get there. Here it is. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Uh, I'd like to call him a friend. I guess I've only heard him speak. Uh, Dr. Michael Rendelnik. I heard him speak one time on Palm Sunday at, at Naperville, Harvest Naperville. And he, he spelled this all out. And when I was preaching this uh, or studying this passage, I went back and I listened to that message. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. But here's the deal. In Daniel 9, Daniel sees a vision of the future of Israel. And it gets mentioned 70 weeks. And then it gets parsed out. You can go look at it. It gets parsed out into like seven weeks, 62 weeks, and one week. In seven weeks, the temple will be built from the decree. You're like, where's the decree? Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It's Artaxerxes' second decree. It's when Nehemiah, remember, he went before the king and he was crying. Don't do that. You're liable to get killed. And the king had favor with him, God favor on him, and sent him to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Awesome. Okay? So that's the decree. 444 B.C. All right. That decree is made. Then you have these weeks. The weeks, seven weeks. Okay? So 49 years, and then 62 weeks. You add it all together, that's 800 and, no, get my math right. You have calculators for this. 483 years. 483 years. I need to draw a map. Okay, I'm going to lay it to you straight. 69 weeks. That's 483 years. It's 173,880 days. You want to build your faith? Go figure it out. From the decree that Artaxerxes made, you can go do the math. It is exactly to the day when Jesus enters Jerusalem. I mean, it's mind blowing. Right? Even if my math is a little off, even if my calculations are a little, I mean, maybe I have the wrong day. Okay? 444 BC, Nissan 1, to AD 33, Nissan 10. Okay? Even if my math is just like a little off, maybe even a few years off, let's just, just give it that. There's only one person claiming to be Messiah during that time period, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, the coming King. This prophecy fulfills it. And there's so many more like that. I know it's a long explanation, but man, I really want to build your faith. You go study that out. Get into the dates. All you need is a calculator. You can start tolling it up. Ask me if you need help. All right, Jesus is the Messiah, the coming King. How's your faith right now? Pretty high? Me too. All right, so here it is. Four responses to Jesus as King. I'm going to give you four responses to Jesus as King. 
four responses to Jesus as king. Right from the text. I'm not going to make them up. Okay? Everybody good with that? All right, verse 16 then. Here it is. The disciples needed time with Jesus to fully understand. The disciples, I switched the words a little bit, sorry, I thought it was more clear. So you can write it down this way if you want, but I I just switched it a little bit. The disciples needed time with Jesus to fully understand. More time with you, Jesus, more time in the word, Jesus, so I can fully understand what you're talking about. Because I'm a little confused right now. Look at verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified... Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Anybody want to know how they remembered? Who wants to know how they remembered? It was just like, oh, I took a day off of my mental capacities that day. I knew it, but I didn't understand. No, they didn't get it until Jesus connected the dots of the Old Testament to the New Testament. We all go, look, the Old Testament points to Jesus. Yes, it does, and it's easy for us to see it. Hindsight's twenty twenty. right? Flip over to Luke chapter 24. Jesus was glorified. Look, Luke chapter 24, it's a few pages to your left. I would love for you to read all of this chapter. It's about the resurrection. It's the most significant event in our past. And I hope you've been raised from death to life as well. You read it on your own. I'm going to skip to verse 25. Luke 24, 25. If you're there, say you're there. All right, and I hear a couple pages. It's like my favorite noise to hear people rustling through the pages of Scripture. Studying your Bible. Let's go. And he said to them, O foolish ones, This is on the road to Emmaus. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. With an exclamation point. I mean, he's like telling them. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer? Don't miss the first mountain peak. Right? Don't miss the mountain peak. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Look across the page. Man, there's some really cool stuff in here. I'm going to skip the next one where he breaks the bread, but man, you just read about that. Okay, look at verse 44. He's got the disciples together now. He's not just talking to two guys on the road, man. He's got them together. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand, please, Lord Jesus, do that here today, to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance, you know when God's grace activates your faith, what's your option? I say it's repentance. And it's your choice. Nobody else can repent for you. You have to do that. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, listen. 
I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, and stay in the city, Jerusalem, until you are clothed with the power from on high. What is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. You're going to be clothed with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the part of God that's going to live inside of you until I come back again. We need the Holy Spirit just like they did. Here's two verses that will confirm this for you. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus speaking, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I need that. And then he continues. We'll get to this later in the year, maybe in May, all right? John 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. How precious is the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't quench him. Don't grieve him. Listen to him. Obey him. He's telling you all the things that Jesus wants for you to do. All the things that the Father has ordained for you to do. It's good. We listen closely. So the disciples, their response, they needed time. And uh, I think we need time. More about the application in a second. This second thing, four responses to Jesus as king. The disciples needed time to fulfill, uh, fully understand Jesus. The convinced crowd. So I'm going to separate the two crowds. Everybody good with that? So we can kind of get, get a name on it rather than large and small. The convinced crowd. The crowd that saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Would you be convinced? Yeah, I'd be convicted. <laughs> I'd be like, yes, this is Jesus. He, the convinced crowd continued to tell others about Jesus. That's a response. That's one I want. The Bethany crowd continued to bear witness. Lazarus, I am alive. Here I am. And they, they had a story to tell. And they wouldn't be silent about it. Look at it now. And, and look at it in the scriptures. Back to John chapter 12, verse 17. The crowd that had been with him, Jesus, everything's about Jesus, right? Right? I mean, the Bible's about Jesus, right? So if we don't, like, clarify him as Jesus, you're going to know that anyway, right? Sometimes I'm like, we got to preach the gospel, right? Like, yes, it is the gospel. We're preaching from the word of God. This is the gospel, right? All right. Just want to make sure we're on the same page. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued, I mean it's like ongoing, never stopping, to bear witness. Like, were they shouting it out? When the two crowds converged, what was the words they were using? Hey, my name's Steve, how are you? No, they're like, you wouldn't believe what happened! Jesus rose this dude from the dead. Woo! I mean, if you were there to see that, you would have a few words to say too. And if you've seen that in your life, there was a point when, it, when, it, like, when that transaction happened where God took all of your sin and gave you all of his glory and grace, and you were like, i got to tell somebody. And if you've never had that moment, check your salvation. 
that's crazy. Like, I'm all in. I want to tell somebody about this awesome God of mine. He's taken all my sin and he's given me all his grace and glory and it's amazing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, number three. Couldn't be silent. Number three. The curious crowd, these guys are curious, the larger crowd coming from Jerusalem, hoped Jesus would benefit them. They hoped Jesus would benefit them. Look at verse 18. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the reason why they heard Jesus was special, it might be good for them to get a little of this. But Jesus isn't an infomercial. Jesus isn't going to improve your portfolio. That's not the Jesus we serve. It makes me think of a political rally. I'm kind of in vogue right now. Um, It's like, I like that candidate. I like that person. We don't endorse candidates. I hope you guys all know that. Okay? I like that person. I like that candidate because they serve my agenda. They um, support what I think is important and I care about. Or if you, this also serves your needs. Well, I just, I just went to the rally for the food. Yeah, that's self-serving too, man. So either way, it reminds me of a political rally. Jesus is great as long as he suits my needs and serves my agenda. That that thing's just a pit. I mean, I just got to tell you that. Even as I say that, I'm like, there's pockets of my life. I think where I'm practicing that. Okay, number four, verse 19. The Pharisees couldn't control Jesus, so they didn't follow him. Follow and obey are synonymous, Okay. The Pharisees couldn't control Jesus, so they didn't follow him. Read verse 19. We're just finishing it up right here. So the Pharisees said to one another, gossip session, slander session, whatever it is, grumbling. You see, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Too little, too late, bros. We can't stop it now. Lots of negative talk behind the scenes. They were planning to kill Jesus because they couldn't control him. We're gaining nothing. Everyone's following Jesus. I'd say if everyone follows Jesus, that's something. That's what I'm thinking. All right, now. It's awesome to see the four responses. They're so clear in Scripture. But I want to know what's your response. What's my response? So I've got four things here. They correlate. My response, and I think your response is to number one, be ready. Just write that down on your paper. Be ready. I need to be ready for Advent. I, don't, I shouldn't misunderstand Advent. I need to be ready. My king is coming back. He's come before. He said he's coming again. I need to be ready. Okay? Be ready. Write that down somewhere on your paper. Be ready. Everybody say it. Be ready. Let's go. We got to be ready. And I, as your pastor, I feel like it's my role to prepare you to be ready. That's what you pay me to do, to, to help you be ready. Jesus is coming again. So here they are, number one. Realize the obvious. Realize the obvious. I know. 
It's the Sunday school answer. You know, usually the Sunday school answer is Jesus, right? On this case, it's the second most popular Sunday school answer, the Bible, right? You need to read the Bible and understand more and more about Jesus. I'm, that's it. I can't say more than that. The more time you spend in God's Word, reading His Word, the better off you're going to be in order to understand His coming again. Realize the obvious. Jesus is coming and I need to be equipped. I need to know. So i got to get in His Word. He told me all about it. Here's my challenge to you. Do you have a plan? It's a question. Do you have a plan to meet with Jesus, to read His Word, and to listen to the Holy Spirit this week? Do you have open heart? Open eyes? Open mind? Maybe you need to make a plan today. If that's you, just write it down. Make a plan. All right, two. My response, reach out. First, you've got to realize the obvious. That'll help you to be ready. Second, reach out. Reach out, okay? So reach out and touch someone. Reach out, right? Tell others. Maybe just reach out and touch your neighbor right now. That, that'll help. Okay, that, that's, that's what we're talking about. You're going to touch somebody. You're going to touch somebody with your story. These people were touching people with the story of Lazarus raising from the dead. You know, I got a story. I rose from the dead. New life. January 15th, 1992. I became a new person. I no longer regard myself according to the flesh, even though sometimes I stink. I don't regard myself thus any longer. And I don't regard you that way either if you're in Christ. Reach out. Tell others your God story, both when you were saved and not only that, what God's doing in your life right now, today, this week. Is God doing something in your life right now? I hope so. And if he is, tell some people about it. Reach out. Who are you going to share the gospel with this week? Just write down who. Who are you going to invite to church? Man, it's Advent season. People go to church on Christmas, don't they? Is that still a thing or no? Maybe it's not. People should still go to church on Christmas. I have a keen expectation of this holiday that every one of you is going to invite your loved ones to hear about Jesus. That's my keen expectation of this holiday. All right, then this. Three, reality check. Jesus is not my rabbit's foot. He's not my good luck charm, and he's not my genie in a bottle. Just rub the lamp, and it'll all be good. If going to the church... Reading your Bible and hanging out with Jesus is just a way to find personal success and to please yourself, then you're missing the point. I hope that's clear and lovingly so. I need to hear that from time to time when I think Jesus is about pleasing me versus serving him. Last week I was pretty focused on how we could give back to God with Mary's example and Martha's example and Lazarus' example, time, talent, treasure. Some people receive that in a different way. And if you did, I just want to correct that. I, I don't mean legalism is a thing. I grew out of legalism long ago, right? It, it's not a works-based salvation. It's a salvation by faith alone in Christ alone and then keeping my faith, right? Uh, bearing fruit and keeping with repentance 
right? That's what I'm talking about. And, and I, I see some people shaking their head because they grew up in the church I was at. It can get real confusing. You can use the same terms, but we're using two different dictionaries, right? So we're saying the same thing, but it sounds like legalism versus like, hey, I think it'd be all great if we just all poured out our life for Christ, right? So if I offended you in any way last week, um, I'm not apologizing for preaching the gospel. I'm pro- apologizing for not being clear that I'm not using this dictionary of legalism. I'm using this dictionary, okay? This is grace and faith, and it means we should live for Christ our King. All right, good. Moving on. Reality check. Check yourself. Just write that down. If, if, if this is something you need to do, just write, check myself. Check my salvation. Am I just trying to, like, do something for myself? Is this like a increase my portfolio, God? Check yourself now. All right? We all have pockets of that. I, wanna, I don't want you to doubt your salvation. We all have pockets of that. But if that's a prevailing thing with you, that, you know, just check yourself, all right? All right, good. Love you. All right, number four, receive Jesus. I'm just flat out, receive him. The Pharisees rejected Jesus. They couldn't control him, so they rejected him. Uh, you can't control him either. Newsflash, Jesus is not something you can control. Someone you can control. He is the God of the universe. You either reject or deny him. But you can't control him. You come to him on his terms, not your own. He's given you a free will, a choice to make. Praise the Lord. Make it. Make it. Okay? Call out for him to save you. But don't try to control him. Don't try to say it's something different than what he said it was. Please don't reject Jesus because you can't control him. So John is writing that you may believe and follow Jesus. And I'm asking you to obey Jesus now. Now I'm going to flip over to Romans chapter 10. You don't have to. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. If you're really proficient in the scriptures and you want to go see it in black and white, that's great. Go ahead. I'm going to read three passages for you to encourage your heart and soul, but also I'm going to read these passages so that you can come to a point of decision. I'm asking you to receive Jesus as your king today. All right, here it is. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 on the screen. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your hearts. That is the word of faith. That's what we're talking about, faith in Jesus we, that we proclaim. Because if you confess, I have if circled in your, my Bible, if, 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 it's not a foregone conclusion just because you go to church. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Legal term, gavel coming down, bam, you're free or you're guilty. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Thank you, Lord. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who, underline it in your Bible, call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right, and then this from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, I'll start there. Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I think baptism and coming to Christ is so important. It's a picture of you dying to yourself. It's a picture of you dying to yourself and living in Christ. Jesus humbled himself. He was obedient to baptism. He was obedient to death on a cross. He wasn't a sinner at all. We are sinners, and we need to be obedient to the point of death, to die to ourselves and to live for him. Therefore, because of these things, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name. Do we have to say who him is? It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And then this, from Revelation chapter 19, because church, behold, listen now, I'm preparing you, your king is coming. This is it. 19 verse 11. Revelation 19 verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, not a donkey, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. No palm branches that day, huh? His eyes are like a flame of fire. And his head, and on his head are many diadems, crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. That's how awesome he is. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, We're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus. This is who we preach every week. This is who we serve by faith. I have one quote that I feel compelled to share with you. It's from John MacArthur. And I want to ask you to receive Jesus. And this is what the quote is, and I believe it to be true with all my heart. A professed faith that does not bear Fruit in keeping with repentance. That's a direct quote from Matthew 3.8. A professed faith that does not bear fruit in keeping with repentance, Matthew 3.8, is dead, non-saving faith. Please see James 2.14-26. All right, church. You have four responses right in front of you. I've laid the table, but I can't eat. I can only eat for myself. Are you hungry?
I pray you are. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the hearts, souls, and minds of everyone in this room. I know it's a spiritual thing. I know it's nothing I can do of my own strength or ability. I know that it's by your grace, for your glory. And I know it's not a human transaction, but a spiritual moment. I pray that many would make decisions for you today, receiving Jesus Christ and submitting to him as their Lord and Savior.